Would you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14, where we left off last Sunday, Acts chapter 14. We were dealing last week with the spiritual confusion which came upon the city of Lystra in the midst of the preaching of the gospel and the miraculous works that signified that God was working through Paul and Barnabas. And we noted how spiritual confusion descended upon those people, and we were reminded of how dangerous that is in people's lives when they're confused. Acts chapter 14, verse number 19 is the continuation of that story, and the result of that spiritual confusion in verse number 19, it says, "...and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people..." And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now we'll point out briefly in verse 19 that the result of the spiritual confusion in Lystra is that false teachers were able to come along and confuse the people even more. And all of a sudden, the people went from wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas to wanting to kill Paul and Barnabas. And actually, in verse 9, the Bible tells us that they took Paul and they stoned him and they dragged his body out of the city, believing that he was dead, and left him outside the city under the assumption that, in fact, he was dead. I'll point out to you that some people do believe that Paul may have died at this time and that God miraculously raised him back from the dead. We don't have any definitive statement in the Scripture, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, of course, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, make some comments about something that happened in his life where he went into heaven and saw some things that he could not utter or could not repeat. We're not sure. I'm not going to preach a message on that subject this morning. It certainly is an interesting thing. But I will point out to you in verse number 19 that the result of the preaching of the gospel was tremendous persecution. That will come into view in just a few minutes uh, when we get a little farther down. Then in verse 20, we find that he gets up and the disciples are around him and he came back into the city and the next day, according to verse 20, he and Barnabas left Lystra and went to the next place. And I love what it says in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, so we don't see them being discouraged, we don't see them stepping aside from the work because of the persecution that they're facing But instead, they go to the next place, and they preach the gospel again and again. But what I want to focus on is in verse 21, that after they had preached the gospel in Derby and had taught many, 
they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, all three places where they have endured persecution, all three places where there has been a response to the gospel and people have been saved. And Paul and Barnabas returned to these three places to continue the work. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is continuing the work. It's important for us to understand that there is more to the work that God has called us to do than simply declaring the gospel and seeing people get saved. There is more that is in view or more that is required of us as a New Testament church than just to see many people make professions of faith. And Paul and Barnabas understood that. In fact, the pattern that we find in the following verses is a pattern which becomes a hallmark of the ministry of the Apostle Paul for the rest of his life. This is what Paul would do when he saw people get saved. Then he would come back and he would continue the work. Or later, as he had other co-laborers with him who were prepared for that work, he would sometimes leave men with them to continue that work while he pressed ahead to another area. It's important for us to understand that the work does not end when someone makes a profession of faith, but rather the work is just beginning. There is an important work which must take place in someone's life after they profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, or they say, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. After a person exercises their faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for themselves, there are steps which need to be taken And there is further work that needs to be done in their life. Now, as we look at the verses, particularly verses 22 and 23, and we see five distinct things that are a part of continuing the work, I want two things from you. First of all, I want you to be thinking about your own spiritual journey. And I want you to be asking yourself this question, where am I in my relationship to God? So you should be asking yourself during the message this morning, do I know that I know that I'm saved? And if you can answer that question in the affirmative, then you should be asking yourself the question, after I got saved, where have I progressed to? Or where have I grown? Where, where am I at in my relationship with God? And you may identify some things along the course of this message this morning that you say, I seem to be stuck about here in this spot, and perhaps it'll help you to identify if there's some steps that you need to take, and if, in fact, you need to seek some help to take those steps to continue on as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we see Paul and Barnabas going back to these cities, and there are five distinct things that they were involved in, particularly among the believers among those who had already been saved and we would presume have been baptized, they've been left behind. Of course, in all three of these cases, Paul and Barnabas have left these cities under the threat of persecution, so they've left rather hastily, but now they've come back and they're going to continue the work. So notice, first of all, in verse 22, something that Paul and Barnabas were doing was confirming the souls of the disciples confirming the souls of the disciples. And first of all, to continue the work, the saints need to be confirmed. 
Now, that word confirming or confirmed, as it's used here in this, this passage, speaks of making someone's position more firm. It means to solidify someone in their belief. So these people had become followers of Christ. They're called, in verse 22, disciples. That means that they are followers. And specifically, they are followers of Jesus Christ. But this is very new to them. And it seems, as we study the previous verses, that Paul and Barnabas were not able to spend much time with them because persecution came rather quickly and they had to move on to the next place. So now they're circling back and they're finding these people who've said, we want to follow Jesus Christ, and they are confirming or solidifying their souls in the choice that they have made. They're going to help these people become firm and solid in the things that they believe. Now, you might ask the question this morning, and I did, why is this necessary? Why is it necessary to confirm the souls of people who who become disciples? Because we would say, well, they have the Holy Spirit. They're a child of God, and they're guaranteed that they're on their way to heaven. What more do they need? Well, specifically what they need is to have their souls confirmed in that which they have believed. When someone gets saved, it's important that others come alongside them and help them to be be confirmed in the things that they believe. And the reason for this is because growth as as a Christian does not happen by accident. So it's important that someone be established in the things that they believe. It's not just going to accidentally happen that they're going to grow and grow more and more mature in Christ. The second reason is because growth doesn't happen overnight. Growth is usually something that is slow and steady. It is something that takes place over a period of time. This is true of us physically. This is also true of us spiritually. And of course, you know, we, we tend not, uh, as, as parents, we tend not to notice quite as much that our children are growing until they go through maybe a dramatic growth spurt, or more likely, we look back at family pictures from a couple of years ago, and we see, wow, they've really grown. They're, they're a lot bigger than, than they used to be. I was looking at a picture that hangs on the wall in our house this morning, and it's a picture that we took a number of years ago, and our kids are sitting on, on, the, on the beach right in front of, of the ocean all in a row, and you can see them sitting there with the water coming up towards them, and, and I was just thinking, my kids are a lot bigger now. Um, Isaac was a lot smaller than his older sister at that point, and our little guys were just tiny at that point. And you think, that was just a little while ago, but a lot of changes have happened. A lot of growth has taken place. Or you think about how someone becomes physically stronger. And, and someone becomes physically stronger. That is, they grow their, their muscular system by stressing those muscles, maybe through picking up something a little bit heavy, and they do that repeatedly, and they get stronger and stronger, and then they can gradually add more weight, and a little stronger, and a little stronger, and and you just keep working at that. I know this in theory from other people who've experienced it, but uh, you, you just get stronger and stronger until you hurt your back, and then you can't pick anything up. 
No, seriously, we all understand that physical growth happens gradually. No one walks into the gym and picks up something 300 pounds heavier than what they've ever picked up. It just doesn't happen that way. You have to gradually grow. You have to gradually become stronger. It's the same way as a believer. Of course, when someone is saved, there's a dramatic change that takes place in their life because they receive the Holy Spirit. They become a child of God. All things become new to them. But then it's also true that there is a steady growth that is necessary in their life. So they need to move from being a babe in Christ to becoming mature in the things of the Lord. And Paul and Barnabas recognized this. They came back to these places because they saw that there was a need for growth to take place. Growth is also necessary. This confirming is necessary because the enemy is seeking to devour. When Jesus shared the parable of the sower, he talked about how when the sower cast the seed and it fell on that, on that ground that was stony, that the, the tempter came along and snatched that seed away. And, and this is true. This can happen in people's lives. Uh, it can happen that uh, not that they're going to lose their salvation or not that the word of God would be taken completely away from them. But I'll tell you, when somebody gets saved, it's amazing how quickly the enemy steps in to try to confront them, to discourage them, to, to distract them from walking in the right way. And it's so critical then that people be there alongside them to help them see the truth. Okay, listen, let's keep our focus on the right. Let's work through this with the truth of God's word. God has answers to the thing that you're, con- that you're confronted with. We have an enemy. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And this is why it's important that we not leave people who've made a profession of faith in a place where they're not able to grow, that they're not able to understand more of the scriptures. It's sad when you meet someone who says, you know, I got saved at this point in my life, but I just had no one in my life after that to help me grow in the things of the Lord. And I've been longing for that. I've been wanting that, but I didn't know where to look. I've met people like that, and that's challenging. So what is necessary is to come alongside people and help them to be confirmed in their soul. We know that it's God's desire for a believer to grow and to thrive. We know that God wants us to bring forth fruit. We know that God wants us to bring forth fruit abundantly, but it's necessary for a person's soul to be confirmed in the truth of God. Now, you might also ask yourself the question, how did they confirm the souls of the disciples? What did they do? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly in this passage, but comparing Scripture with Scripture and seeing how Paul behaved himself in his ministry in other places, we find that there are a couple of things that were critical, one being that there was systematic teaching which took place. And so Paul was known for systematically teaching in the scriptures and grounding these believers' faith in the word of God. It's critical that people be confirmed in thus saith the Lord. It's, it's a, a really sad thing when people don't understand what they believe and why they believe it from the Bible. And the reason why that's sad is because they'll easily be swayed away from that. They'll easily be dissuaded by someone who's smooth-talking 
But if you confirm someone's soul in the Word of God and they see why those things are so, it's going to be very difficult to dissuade them or to pull them off of that path. And so we know that Paul would teach systematically from the Scriptures, and we also know a second part of this was practical training. And so Paul would bring people along with him. Not only would he teach them like is taking place right now from this pulpit, but he would bring them alongside and he would show them. He would give them an example. He would be involved in their life. This is the value of practical mentorship or discipleship. And in this process, according to verse 22, these disciples were confirmed in their souls. That means it wasn't just an outward conformation. It was an inward confirmation. It was a settling, a strengthening, because it's it's obvious that in just a little while, Paul and Barnabas are going to go away, and it's going to be necessary for these people to go on without them, and as such, their souls need to be confirmed. Now, I just want to point something out to you before we go to the second thought, and that is, this is also something, parents, that we are to be doing with our children. We're to be helping our children become confirmed in their souls. And we have a certain amount of time with our children to spend with them, to disciple them, to share with them the things that we believe and why we believe them, to help them think through the issues that they will confront in their life. But that time will come to an end. That time will pass away, and then they're going to be on their own. Not that they're, uh, hopefully they'll continue to have a relationship with you, but it's going to be different. And so you're going to need to really uh, think about how to invest and how to pour your life into your children to confirm their souls because it's a terrible tragedy when a young person grows up in a Christian home but has no idea what they believe or why they believe it and perhaps has never been truly converted and then steps outside of that home and goes immediately to the things of the world. And as parents, that's the thing that that I think as a father that would break my heart. That would be something that would tear me up if that happened. So I want to be intentional in helping my children to, to have their souls confirmed. But this is also something we think about as a church. When someone makes a profession of faith, it's important that we confirm their souls, not just through the public teaching and preaching of the Word of God, but with someone coming alongside to help them to grow in the things of the Lord. So we see, number one, the work is, con- is continued as the souls of the disciples are confirmed. Second of all, the second part of this process is an exhortation to continue. So they were exhorting them to continue in the faith. And you'll see that the third thought goes right along with this in just a moment, but they were exhorting them to continue. Now, what's interesting is that word continue means to carry on or a a, a parallel thought or a synonymous thought is the idea of being faithful. So Paul and Barnabas are not only explaining to them, this is what we believe and this is why we believe it, And this is where it is in the word of God. And here is how this plays out practically in your life. But then they are exhorting them to continue in the faith. They're saying to them, it's worth it to continue living for the Lord. It's worth it to continue pressing on and and to keep on believing the thing that you have believed. This is what we want. When somebody gets saved, we want them 
to keep on believing the thing that they have believed. We want them to grow more firm in their confidence that what they have believed is the truth. Now, you'll notice that the word exhort has the idea of calling someone along with you. It's the idea of saying, I'm going and I want you to come with me. So sometimes I'll say to one of my children, I'm going to the store. Do you want to come with me? And each of them might have different reasons for coming to the store with me. My, my younger sons, there's a particular store that I go to where they have in their mind that if we ever go in that store, I'm going to buy them a special drink. And that usually means like iced tea or juice. And so if I say, I'm going to this store, they say, yeah, we want to come. Because they have in their mind... So then I have to remind them now, just because we're going to this store doesn't mean every time you're getting one of those, although that's typically how it works out. And so they talk me into it. But see, that's an exhortation. That's I'm going here. Would you like to come with me? Now, they're not to the point where I would say to them, hey, Caleb, get the car and go to the store. Not quite not quite ready for that yet. So please don't do that, Caleb. All right. But he is to the point where I could say to him, I'm going to the store and I'd like you to come with me. And notice this, there's an exhortation. An exhortation means I'm already doing it and I'm inviting you to do it with me. Notice Paul and Barnabas have evidence. They have modeled in their ministry this kind of faithfulness, this kind of continuation. It is appropriate for them to say to other people, come along with us and let's continue in the faith. Because this is exactly what they are doing. It would be hypocritical for somebody who's not continuing in the faith to say to other people, you should be continuing in the faith. No, it's important that it be modeled in your own life. And that's exactly what was true about Paul and Barnabas. They were saying, we're continuing in the faith. We want you to continue in the faith. Now, just a couple thoughts about that idea of continuing, which I said to you is synonymous with faithfulness. And I was thinking about faithfulness. Because faithfulness is not flashy. Faithfulness is not, to most people, faithfulness is not that attention getting. When I think of faithfulness, I I think of somebody who is slow and steady. I think of somebody who's dependable. I think of somebody who isn't necessarily in the limelight. Somebody who doesn't have a flashy testimony. It's, It's not somebody who is always the focus. But it's just somebody who, you think about, Okay, if we're going to have church, that person's going to be there. They're always going to be there. If they're not there, it's because they're sick or they're out of town. And if that's not true, I don't know what's going on. It's some kind of a crisis. Because if we have the doors open for church, you just know they're going to be there. You can count on them. Now, there's some other people that you'd say, well, we're having services. We'll have to see if they show up. I don't know. Maybe they'll be there. Maybe they won't. We don't know whether they're going to be faithful or not, but there's some people that you expect they're just going to be faithful. And that's exactly the kind of testimony that all of us should have. We should be faithful. We're drawn sometimes to flashy stories or to, to uh, you know, these dramatic things that happen in people's lives. But I think that God values faithfulness. In fact, the scripture tells us it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so Paul and Barnabas were exhorting these saints. They were saying to them, come on, let's, con- let's carry on. Let's continue on in the things that we have believed. I trust this morning that you will continue on in the faith. If you've settled the question that you are saved, 
If you know with confidence that you have been born again by the grace of God and you know that you're on your way to heaven and you have a real relationship with God, can I just exhort you this morning, continue on in the faith. Keep on pressing on. Be determined to grow closer to the Lord. Be determined to be more of a follower of Jesus tomorrow than you were today. Continue on in the faith. You say, well, I'm not that important. Nobody's really paying attention. Nobody's noticing my testimony. I'm not up on the platform. I'm not teaching a Sunday school class. I'm telling you this morning, more people are watching than you have ever imagined. More people are paying attention to your testimony than you think. And your continuation in the ways of the Lord over a long period of time says much about the reality of your faith. Flashy people come and flashy people go. But faithful people just continue on. Now what's interesting about this phrase also is you'll notice the first part of this confirming the souls of the disciples. This is someone else confirming or solidifying the disciples. The second part of this is them exhorting these people to solidify themselves. So they're going to make some choices to solidify their own testimony, to say, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to follow after the ways of God. There comes a point where you must choose to continue on believing what has been taught to you, where it's primarily your own responsibility to own your faith. And you're less dependent on someone else to confirm your soul in that faith. When you're first saved, you're probably in the place where you have a lot of questions, where you are are confronted with objections, where there's difficulties that come and you're not sure how to handle it. But the intention is that the older you get in the Lord, the more mature you get in the Lord, the more stable you become in your faith and you're making choices now to continue on. In other words... Your continuance becomes a source of confirmation for someone else's soul. So there's a, an exhortation to continue. Then notice verse 22, a third part of this, and it goes right along with that exhortation. And you notice that it's joined together with the, that conjunction and, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. The reason they needed to exhort them to continue is because they had a good idea that trouble was coming. So understand, third of all, an important part of continuing the work is that we must teach people by encouraging them to endure tribulation. I've said this many times from this pulpit, but it bears repeating. If you think that the Christian life is going to be easy or that Getting saved is going to automatically bring you to a place where all the troubles go away. You have the wrong thought. You have the wrong impression of the Christian life. The Christian life is full of trouble. The Christian life is full of trials and persecutions. In fact, it goes so far as to say in this passage that we must, through tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. There is a close connection between tribulation, that's trouble, trial, difficulty, and the kingdom of God. So if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, it is necessary for you to understand that trouble is coming. It's been said that we are either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or headed into a trial. 
Trials are a reality. The book of James tells us that we should count it all joy when we encounter these times of trial or tribulation in our life. According to this passage, here in Acts chapter 14, the path of the citizen of of God's kingdom is a path of trials and persecution. The idea of the word tribulation, as it's used in verse 22, is of a burden that presses us down. It's a care that weighs upon us. And they were encouraging these believers with this thought, and and it doesn't sound encouraging, does it? Because you think the encouragement would be, if you come to the Lord, all the troubles go away. And that's what a lot of people teach. But that's not true. And then people encounter trouble, and they say, this doesn't jive with what I've been taught. This isn't what they've been telling me. This doesn't make any sense. Why am I having these troubles? So if we're going to use consistent biblical teaching, if we're going to instruct people according to the word of God, we're going to have to help them understand that they are going to encounter trouble in their life. Sometimes the trouble that they encounter will be a direct result of their choice to follow Jesus Christ. That is, because they decided to become a follower or a disciple of Christ, they will encounter difficulties. This is a reality. You say, I don't know if I could encourage somebody to to make that choice. Well, that has everything to do with your perspective. Because if your perspective is settled on the temporal and all you can see is this life, then you might be tempted to say to someone, It'd be a lot easier for you just to deny Christ or not to be vocal about your faith because then things would be a lot easier. But if you have your eye on the eternal and you realize that this life is just temporary, this life doesn't last for very long, but there is something that is far more weighty and far more eternal that is in store, then you would not hesitate to encourage people with this thought. It's going to cost you something, but you ought to follow after Christ. So they were exhorting them. They were saying, listen, we're suffering for Christ and it's okay. If you follow Christ, you're liable to suffer as well, but God will bring you through that. If you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, you're going to have to endure some difficulties in your life. Paul had endured so many trials in these three cities that later in the book of 2 Timothy, he would speak about this when he made that great statement All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's in the direct context of him remembering what happened in these three cities. And of course, in the context of that, he was speaking in a letter to that young man, Timothy, who was from one of these cities and who had been witness to all of the sufferings that Paul had had endured in these places. And I believe that had a pivotal role in his own choosing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So as we are discipling, or as we are continuing the work, if I could put it this way, let's not hide the truth from people about what it costs to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's likely that if they're a follower of Christ, that some of their family will misunderstand. It's likely that they will lose some friendships. It's likely that they're going to have some trouble in their life. And we shouldn't hide that from people. We should help them to understand this is the reality of the Christian life. God will give you the strength to endure that. And that word endure means to wait patiently. God will give you the strength to go through that very patiently. 
And in the process, God will strengthen your soul. So we need to help people with that. We need to help them understand that trials are coming and how they can find the help that they need in the midst of those trials. The fourth part of the continuation of this work is found in verse 23 in the phrase, when they had ordained them elders in every church. Now, what's interesting about this is there were multiple churches that were established. Would you agree with that from that phrase? There were elders in every church. So multiple churches were established, which is amazing because it seems they hadn't been there all that long, and yet many people had gotten saved. Multiple churches had been established. At least one church in each of these cities had been established. Perhaps even more than that uh, is, is a possibility. But we notice that in each of these churches who now had been, these disciples had been confirmed. They had grown some in the Lord. Paul and Barnabas realized we're going to be leaving. We're going to be going away from this place. There is a necessity to ordain elders. In the New Testament, an elder is a pastor or a shepherd. So there's three primary terms for a pastor, one being a pastor. That that word just means that he's a shepherd. An elder, and that speaks of the honor that goes along with his position in the church. And a bishop, and that's the man who would be the overseer over the work of God. And you'll notice in the text that it's in the plural. So there's more than one of these elders in every church. There is, in other words, at least a couple of them that are exercising this gift. And we know from Ephesians chapter 4 that these pastors are a gift to the church. They are a gift to the congregation. Now you might ask, what does this have to do with the continuation of the work or why would this be important? And this brings us to the importance of the New Testament church as well as to the spiritual leadership which is evidenced in the New Testament church and how much that has to do with your spiritual formation. So if I could say it plainly, God didn't save you so that you could be out there by yourself doing your own thing, doing your own will, living your own way, and saying, I don't need anybody else. That is a complete misunderstanding of the New Testament. We've got plenty of lone rangers out there today who believe that they don't really need to be responsible to a church really don't need spiritual leadership in their life because, hey, I've got the internet. I watch my favorite preachers on there. All right, so I'm just going to say it plainly and maybe for the benefit of, of some who may be watching live streaming or watching this later who are not in a good church home. Obviously, most of you who are here have at least some kind of a relationship with this church. Many of you are members of this church. That's important to your spiritual health and well-being. If you're watching this, and you are not a part of a New Testament church, and you do not have accountability to a pastor or to some spiritual leadership in your life, then you are in great spiritual danger. And it's very important that you not say streaming services is sufficient. It's not sufficient. It's not the same as having accountability. It's not the same as having a spiritual counselor. It's not the same as having spiritual leadership as being responsible to someone We need that. Now, what you notice is we resist that. And I've had many conversations with people who believe that, hey, as long as I'm getting good preaching over the Internet or something, that's fine. I'm I'm growing in the Lord. And and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for men who, who are able to share their ministry online. But a pastor online is not your pastor. A pastor online doesn't know what's going on in your life. 
a pastor online is not able, I don't know what that was, a wasp or a fly, but it was right here. <clears throat> that was startling. It surprised me. A pastor online is not able to counsel you, is not able to pray with you, is not able to know what's going on in your life. So what Paul and Barnabas understood was before they should leave town, before they go back, before they could say the work is finished, there needed to be spiritual leadership established in these churches so that these churches would be able to continue growing. Again, I point out to you, according to Ephesians 4, this kind of spiritual leadership is a gift from God. It's not a burden. It's not something that, that should be a, a pain. It's not something that should cause difficulty in your life, but it, it is a blessing to the church. And for the spiritual formation of these new believers, these elders would need to be left behind to continue the work. They would continue the spiritual work that had begun as they ministered with the Word of God and with prayer. And certainly we know from the later testimony of Scripture that this work did go on, that this work continued on, that more people were saved, more churches were planted, and praise God for that. You realize this morning that you will not always be here. And so it's important for those who are coming behind you to have some establishment in their life and then also to have some spiritual authority in their life. And it's, it's important then for a church, and I'll just point this out quickly, it's important for a church to think about, always think about the next generation of spiritual leadership. So where is that baton passing when this generation of spiritual leadership passes away or is no longer able to be here? Are there others that are being trained, that are being prepared, that are going to carry on that work? In this case, Paul and Barnabas will be leaving because, of course, they're evangelists, they're church planters. It was never their intention to stay. They would come back to check in on these churches and to encourage them, but they would not be able to stay there for a long time. Uh, in our case... We realize that all of us, to one degree or another, we're passing away. We're, we're getting older. We're, we're moving on. And there's another generation that's always coming up behind us. Are we investing in them? Are we preparing them to carry the mantle of leadership? And so we see that there was some ordination of elders. This speaks about that accountability relationship that each of us need uh, with a New Testament church. That's important. I'll just say this, it's important for me as a pastor to have an accountability relationship with this church. It, that's important to me. You say, who are you accountable to? I'm accountable to the whole church. I'm accountable to every person in this church, and we need to be in fellowship with one another. It's not that the pastors of the church are elevated over everyone else or are somehow more spiritual, although they obviously ought to be spiritual. They obviously ought to be prepared for that work, but it's not that they're better. It's not an exaltation of the clergy over the laity. That's not what the Bible speaks about. But it is a particular spiritual gifting for the purpose of providing spiritual leadership to the body. So there was an ordination of elders that took place. And by the way, you'll find that this is a pattern of Paul's ministry over and over and over again. The final thing that I'll point out to you in verse 23 is that they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And, and it starts out with confirming them, 
with solidifying their position, with saying this is the, these are the things that we've believed and we want to remind you of those things, then exhorting them to continue on, exhorting them that even through trials they should continue on, helping them to have the spiritual leadership. But then there came a point where Paul and Barnabas said, okay, now it is time for us to say we're leaving. We're taking our leave. We have to move on to the next place. We are going to commend you to the Lord. And that's the fifth step of continuing the work is commending these believers to the Lord. Now, you'll notice that this commendation took place in an atmosphere of prayer with fasting. So it was a spiritual commendation. They were not leaving before it was time. They were not in a hurry just to get on to the next place. But really, they were convinced that their work was done, and yet there was still work to do. And so they commended them to the Lord. And literally, what that speaks about is they handed them over to the Lord for safekeeping. This is like if I said, if I said my, my son this morning came to me, Titus, and he said he needed my keys. And so he needed my keys to get something. I don't remember what. My church keys. So I handed him my keys. And I commended my keys to my son. Now, the intention was that he's going to give those back to me. And I had to go find him and say, where's my keys? I need those because he forgot he had them in his pocket. But at least he had them in his pocket. At least he hadn't left them in a lock somewhere, right? Now, notice this. There comes a place where you commend someone to the Lord, where you have done everything that you can do. You've invested in their life. You've taught them. You've mentored them. You've brought them along. Now it's time for you to move along, for them to continue serving the Lord. So what do we do? Do we sit and say, oh no, what's going to happen? I hope it'll work out. No, we commend them to the Lord. And the Lord is able to work in their life. The Lord is able to continue that work. In fact, Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, the Apostle Paul could express this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he could say with confidence, It was time for me to move along, but I've commended you to the Lord, and I know that the Lord is going to continue that work. Now, this is the consolation that we have. The consolation is the work does not fully depend upon me. The work is not completely dependent upon me doing everything for that person. There comes a place where I can say to that person, okay, the Lord is going to work in your life. I've got to move along. We're going to have a parting of the ways. You're going to be there. I'm going to be here. Things are going to be different, but I can trust that God is going to continue that work. Now, you'll notice that this commendation is in the context of having fully completed everything that they believed God wanted them to do. So it's not a shirking of duty and just saying, well, God will take care of you. I'm going to move along now. They've already done everything that they can. But now they're commending them to the Lord, trusting that God is going to continue that work. This is a tremendous consolation. When someone has the Lord, or when the Lord has someone, he's not going to leave them alone. This This is one of my greatest consolations as a parent. This is one of my greatest consolations as a pastor, is that when someone really belongs to the Lord, the Lord is going to continue working in their life. I may not be present with them at all times. 
I may not be always there to tell them, do this or do that, or here's a Bible verse for that situation. But I know if they're saved, they have the Holy Spirit. I know that the Lord is going to continue working in their life. They may not always make the choices that I would want them to make. They may not always go the direction that I would want them to go. But I know this, no matter where they go, if they're saved, they have the Lord. And I can trust the Lord to continue working in their life. And so Paul and Barnabas commended them to the Lord, handed them over to the Lord, and trusted that the Lord was going to continue working. You notice the reason they were able to do that is because it was on the Lord. It was on whom they believed. This morning, as we conclude the message, I want to challenge you about this question. Who is it that you have believed? I hope this morning that your faith, your confidence is not in a pastor. That your confidence is not in a church. That your confidence is not in some person who was a mentor to you. That your confidence is not in your parents or in your heritage or in some other thing. But I hope this morning that you have believed on the Lord. That's the first question that I asked you to consider about your spiritual journey. Have you believed on the Lord? And if you have not believed on the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Today, Jesus is worthy of your confidence He's worthy of you putting your faith and your trust in Him. He's already done everything that is necessary for you to be saved. All that remains is for you to take Him at His word. All that remains is for you to turn away from trying to save yourself and from going after your own rebellion and turn to Him and grab a hold of the gift of God that He is offering to you. I hope this morning that if you've never been saved, today would be the day of faith for you. Today, you would put your confidence in Him. But most of you are going to say this morning, no, I have believed on the Lord. Okay, then, I want you to go back. And I want you to ask yourself, where are you at in your spiritual journey? Do you need some confirming? Do you need some stabilizing, some steadying, some founding in your life? Be honest with yourself. Do you need to listen to some exhortation about continuing, that is, do you need to establish some patterns of faithfulness in your life? Maybe you're in a time of trial this morning and you need some encouragement to endure that trial, that tribulation that you're going through. You need someone to come alongside and help you to get your eyes in the right place. Maybe this morning you need to be submitting yourself to spiritual leadership and you need to be making a covenant with a church family You need to be finding a place where you can belong, a place where you can have accountability to those who would be able to instruct you and help you from the Word of God. Wherever you are in this journey, if you are saved, I have full confidence that I can commend you to the Lord, who will continue that work in you which He has already ably begun, and I can have confidence that he's going to bring you to the place where he wants you to be. You can be commended to the Lord. Now, as a church, as we think about this, we have a lot of responsibility when we're sharing the gospel, a responsibility that goes beyond just evangelism. We want to be actively working in this continuation of the work 
in the people that God brings into our life. And it could be that God has put you in contact with someone. Maybe you say, I'm really in a place where I'm confirmed and I've gone through some trials and I'm continuing on I, I, with, with my, my wholehearted uh, honesty. I can say that I'm continuing to serve the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. So it's God's will for you to be investing in someone else to see this pattern repeated. And it could be that God wants you to get plugged in in that place. 